shit, shit, shit show. It's a fucking shit show. Shit well, welcome back to Shit Show Saturday. I'm the shit show today because I just realized I left my microphone in New York, but it's not about me. It's about shit show Jesse. Welcome. Hey. Buckle up, baby. I'm ready. You're going to feel normal in about two minutes. All right. Okay. <laughs> it's a little jitters. That's it. Okay. Mm. So, song. Um, so my favorite song is Praying by Kesha. Now, the best is yet to come, I, can make it on my own. I don't know if I know that. Is that a is that was so, it on like, the radio? No, she has a lawsuit with her manager or producer or something, Dr. Luke, about being abused by him. And mm-hmm. she like won her lawsuit, but she still she couldn't get out of her contract so he makes money off of all her music but she makes so since 2017 she's been making this music that's like a very big fuck you to him but he still makes money off of it and and to this day it's still like that praying was like the first music video she had a gag order for years so it was like tick tock on the clock and then all of a sudden it was like it was like I went into eating disorder treatment and da 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 and all this stuff and and praying was like oh my god it's like it reminds me of you know it it helps me a lot that song is really good carbohydrate um potatoes so pierogies mashed potatoes oh yeah pierogies you taught that to Andrew how did that come up I was eating them Mm. And he was like, what'd be that? I asked because I had lived in Oakland for a little while. And I also oh, you did? In... Yeah. Oh, when? I, uh, I want to say like 2012. Really? Yeah. Um, And, or, two, yeah, around there. And then I lived in New Orleans for a short time. And like, I tried to get pierogies at the grocery store and I couldn't get them. In New Orleans, I couldn't get them. I don't, I think I could in Oakland. Okay, Cheese. So it used to be brie. Yeah, hands down. Condiment? Uh, so I'm fancy pants. I like an aioli. Uh-huh. And if not, then I'll go with honey mustard if it's not available. Um, have, Do you ever make your own aioli? I have, yeah, because I'm vegan, right? So, yeah, I've made it. It's um, Did it turn not- out okay? I feel like it's hard to make. <laughs> no, I would think not. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't compare that's for sure yeah, I would imagine not <laughs> it's like making your own honey mustard it's not easy so when did you find out that you were an adult child so I think that I found out I was an adult child from you probably um I got sober um in April of 2021 to April of 2022 and um so I had been going to AA meetings and um yeah for about a year and I was starting to get pretty vulnerable um in those meetings and that was really good for me but then I was also doing this other kind of side work where I was like in therapy I was reading a lot of books um you know I read Body Keeps the Score and my therapist told me about mother hunger which like really fucked me up and was gave me like so much insight Then, you know, Lindsay Gibson, the Emotionally Immature Parents, gave me a podcast recommendation, Therapist Uncensored, all this stuff about attachment. So I was like, 
things were clicking rapid fire. Like I got sober and it was just like, boom, 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 boom. Cause I, my drinking got really bad at the same time. I went no contact with my mom. So, mm-hmm. um, I hadn't been able to process and do the work until I got sober. And, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, it was pretty quick. And then I guess like the algorithm just kind of figured out that I should follow you. <laughs> and so you popped up and I was like, Oh, and at the same time, I had a bad experience in my AA meeting where I was like really starting to trust that I could share. And then this like old timer came on and was very brusque and like very much like, who cares why you're an alcoholic? It doesn't matter. It's that you are and you do the steps and the work. And I was like, but uh. and so it just shut me up and it just put my walls up. And then I like found um, you know, this group and I and found ACA. So I started going down that path and it's definitely been the path for me because that's where where I'm at that's why I try to share whenever it's appropriate like about this ACA stuff in AA meetings just because like I wish I had heard about it like I wish somebody had said something you know I do too and then it's like where's the line of this like being not appropriate or pushy so I think it's just sharing your own experience you know like that's what it is um yeah Huh. That's so interesting. So I want to talk about going no contact with your mom leading into you getting sober. What was your relationship with drugs and alcohol leading up to cutting contact with your mom? Um, so I had had my child at, I was 28 by the time I had my child. And then I didn't really drink um, because I didn't like being hungover. I got really hungover. So, and I didn't smoke weed because um makes me really paranoid. Um, So I was sober uh, for the most part, except for like a wedding or whatever. And I was a binge drinker at the, on those occasions. Cause I was like, I, I would get hungover off two beers. So I rationalized, why don't I have 10 or whatever? So um, exactly. it was really, really minimal. And then I got divorced. I broke up with my husband and I got, and I, my child was three and that was the same age that my parents got divorced. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to do my childhood to my child. Like I just, my head had cracked open. My PTSD flew out, like everything exploded. And so I just got drunk and like called my mom and yelled at her and was like, I'm not talking to you anymore. And so it was really messy. It was very messy. Um, my relationship with my ex-husband was the most secure I've ever felt. So it was really strange and and a real mind fuck that it fell apart. And like I've kind of been thinking about it lately, you know, whether it's extenuating circumstances that broke us up or whether there's something I was just missing and not paying attention to. It's interesting. Were you blindsided? No, I broke up with him, uh-huh. but I never wanted to. Like I just, so he injured his back when I was pregnant, like to the point where it was, he was incapacitated, but like wouldn't go on disability and like wouldn't do the things that were necessary to help our family financially. And then once his back got better, he was a stay at home dad and like wouldn't get a job. And like, we had very different childhoods financially growing up where he thought there was always um, a safe landing. And I, I'd never had that. And so we had fundamentally different views about that. So that came out once we had a kid, you know, but, um, it became a problem once we had, once I needed him. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't need him prior to that. So mm-hmm. we were able to just love each other and not need one another. Um, and so I guess like I didn't have, I didn't test that part um, until it was too late, you know. How long were y'all married? Uh, we were together for six years and we were married for like 10 months. Yeah. <laughs> and when Pennsylvania, you can do a Quaker wedding. It was like, I mean, we got married because I needed him on health insurance. So it was not very romantic and it's very practical. And, and so, you know, I have, um, I have set the expectations for myself very low in what I deserved. Can't relate. (laughs) Because like he loved me and in a way, and what I mean, not in the way of actions, but like in the way that he catered to my emotional well-being you know what I've never experienced that before in my life so I felt very secure that he loved me like that he wouldn't cheat on me and that he wouldn't harm me things like that it was a lack of harm it wasn't there was nothing added to my life it was like this person's not going to hurt me I love him so that was yeah it's like kind of like settling why did it happen I mean obviously because it's what led you to your healing, you know? Yeah, I was destined to not end up like, I I was destined not to repeat my childhood and I could see it happening. Um, and in different ways, my dad was an active alcoholic and, you know, my husband wasn't, um, but it was just not showing up mm-hmm. and so, things getting like financially. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it's okay to have $0 at the end of the month. Like, that's fine. And it's like, I can't, like, that's fine when you're not having a kid, but when you have a child, like, you got to think differently. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So what was your experience in getting sober? Like, did you, had you been to AA before? It's interesting, right? Because like, it took me about, I want to say another three years to, so after I got, after I broke up with my husband and got divorced, and also simultaneously decided I can't talk to my mom anymore because what happened was when I got divorced, she was like, I'll be there for you. I want to be there for you. And there was something overwhelming in my gut that was like, I will not talk to you about this. You are the last person I want to talk to about this. And for the first time in my life, I listened to my gut, like in regards to my mom. And so I just decided to put that off, but I became um the role so I in my life have played the role of a human being so I don't know I've always had to hide what's going on in my life and so what I do is I look at other people around me to see what's normal and what are people doing and so when people get divorced it's okay to let your hair down to get a little schwacy to just be a mess and so I let myself be a mess but then I couldn't reel it in. I was never able to reel it in. And so it took three years. My therapist was like, and then my therapist was really kept saying it to me all the time. And I was like, no, it's cool. It's fine. I can stop when I need to. Um, and then in that, in between that time, I had met my, um, second partner, a serious partner who is the father of my youngest child. And, um, and, you know, we had fun, all that stuff, drinking and, um, and connected um, and got in a serious relationship very quickly. 
And um, then the pandemic, like I got pregnant and then the pandemic hit. So I got pregnant in March of 2020. Mm. Um, so I stopped drinking and um, it, but, but I was a dry drunk. I was a, I was miserable. And then um, my kid was in, my oldest was in preschool. And then that following September started kindergarten and did kindergarten on zoom while I was pregnant. Mm. It was like, I can't, that was one of the, one of the hardest times. I can imagine. <laughs> so, you know, um, because I was, I, I wanted, I had no skills whatsoever to handle any of it. Um, and so once I had my daughter, um, I started drinking again and then it just got so bad because like everybody was home so I could drink all day. And then, um, it just got to a point that I had hit a bottom, you know, for me and I don't really want to go into it on here, but it was, um, bad enough for me to change. And so I went to AA like immediately on zoom. I can't imagine getting sober on zoom, but I think for other people, it probably was great because it's probably a little bit easier. It's a little bit less scary to get your ass on a zoom meeting than it is to get your ass in a physical meeting. Yeah, it, that's very much a part of it. The barriers are way down. Um, but also because, yeah, I didn't want anyone to know I was an alcoholic. Right. But it's like they're all alcoholics. So like, why would they care? <laughs> you know what I mean? But I don't know that yet. And then the other part of it is I did go to an in-person meeting, but like my PTS, my dissociation got so like I got so freaked out that it was really hard for me to like pay attention and share so zoom was like really helpful for that and were you able to like get connected with other people that way mm -hmm. yeah I really was um because I it was three times this meeting is three times a day every day oh nice yeah yeah I was just I mean I probably went to two meetings a day for my first year I but I but I always fellowshipped afterwards it was like I just had to occupy my time as much as much as possible you know being around other sober people yeah so they did fellowship on zoom they would really? do a virtual parking lot afterward and so awesome. yeah every meeting mm -hmm. um okay so let's backtrack okay let's talk about the fun times of your childhood um yeah so my parents divorced when I was three and my dad was um an active drinker and my mom like really demonized him to us like she really wanted us to hate him I have two older brothers okay. and I'm the youngest. Um, and this is a theme throughout my life growing up is that I was told one thing, but the actions did not match what I was told. So dad is bad. Dad is awful. Oh, you're going to dad's every other weekend. So why was I going? You. So anyway, um, and then my um, mom remarried when I was nine and I met my stepdad the day that she told us he was moving in. Um, so I, you know, was like, who is this person? So it was like weird. A lot of us talk about being parentified and like I was, I had very grown up decisions to make, at least like false decisions that choices she would give me um but I was infantilized a lot you know I was nine when she brought this man into my life like 
she didn't think I could handle her dating or like talking about a person or like bringing someone into the house. Like she didn't think that this guy should meet her kids. Like it was very strange. And that's you another. Remember when she told you? Yeah, she literally sat us down on the couch, and I was like, "Who's this strange man?" And she said, "This is so and so, and he's moving in." I was like, "What?" That was it. And then he moved in. I have very, very choppy memories of my childhood, um, and the like they're not very chronological. So, um, so yeah, that's my memory of it. And then he was suddenly in our lives. Um, he took us to Disney World right away. So it was like this love bombing kind of. I would say grooming also situation. Um, and then he ended up starting to abuse me very quickly. And I remember I fucking hated him before he started abusing me. I, I hated his guts. And I remember I punched him in, in between his glasses, his nose, and um, he punched me back. And I told him, oh, well, I can tell my mom not to marry you, you know? And I think maybe he punched me at that point, or I don't know how the punch happened. But my mom yelled at me that night, you know, she said, you can't tell this person that I'm not going to marry him. It was fucked up. So, um, so it was very weird. And um, they did end up getting married and, you know, um, and then he abused me till I was 11. Hmm. And, uh, and my mom walked in on it and um when I was 11 so she couldn't so like he took me into her room after dinner one night it was like so obvious the whole family's there it's like 6 p.m and you take me into my mom's room and close the door so I think at that point like she probably in her head was like I have to deal with this um I think that she knew well before she intervened and because she was a I think her trauma response is to freeze and I think that she experienced similar things in her life and didn't know what to do um, and so, yeah, um, I think she decided, okay, I can act now. I've prepared and I'm ready to act. And she walked in, caught him. And my kid brain was just thinking, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed because like my mom had to find out. I didn't tell her. I was so ashamed that I didn't tell my mom the secret that had been happening um, for the past few years. And uh, she sat me down and she was like, this is when I talk about the false choice. So she sat me down and was like, look, Jesse, um, this is really up to you. It's totally up to you. I love you so much. I want to do what's right here. I want you to make this decision. Um, but I want you to know all the facts. And if I, you know, we can either, I can tell him to leave and he can leave our lives. But if I do that, I don't know if I can afford this house anymore. Mm. And so I'm like 11 years old. I have two older brothers like in the room right next to me and it's quote unquote my choice whether or not we're homeless basically is how I took it in my brain. So I think in her mind she was like oh I want to let my daughter know like that I care about her and give her this like choice but really I'm going to frame it in a way where like I need this guy to stay and um, mm. so I said of course of course like I'm going to sacrifice myself for my family like I'm not going to have us homeless I'm not going to be the reason for that um so then after that he lived with us for another two years and um I think she was probably planning in her own way on how to get out of the situation um but during those two years he did stop abusing me in that way but like he would do really strange things 
um, inappropriate things in our living room, my mom would start while like I was sitting on the couch. And so I would pile up. So our computer was like next to the couch and, um, I would like pile up pillows so that like I couldn't see him and he couldn't see me and I would watch TV and he would do whatever he was doing. And um, my mom started going to bed like ridiculously early, like seven o'clock or something and just left us alone with this child molester and um, the living room. And uh, so I, you know, was mad, very mad. At that point I was, you know, 11 to 13. So I started being pretty pissed off. And um, that she wasn't doing anything about it. I was told that I wasn't going to be alone with him, but there'd be many occasions where like I'd walk up to the house and I see his truck in the driveway and I'd have to walk around the block for like two hours until somebody else got home. Mm. Um, So it was really bad. Yeah. And then when I was 13, um, the decision was made like, okay, he's going to leave. Now I didn't know this. I was sent to my grandmother's house for a sleepover and my grandma told me, you know, hey, your mom's kicking him out today. And I was like, what? Like, I I have been so tortured waiting for this day that like that hope, if she could have given me that hope, like knowing that this day is coming, like it would have soothed me so much. And this is another example for infantilizing me where when I asked her, I said, why didn't you tell me? She was like, well, I thought you would tell him. And I couldn't let him know as though I was like a five-year-old that couldn't keep their mouth shut. I was 13 years old at that point. Um, and this is all I wanted in life was for this man to get out of my life. And then, um, and that's, and then I just kind of like um, went about my life. So that was my home life. Uh, and I saw my dad every other weekend off and on. Um, he didn't know what happened until I was older, uh, I told him, cause I started getting in trouble. So once I got into high school, I got introduced to drugs and alcohol. Um, and I just took off running, running. Like I wanted to escape as fast mm-hmm. and as much as I could. Mm-hmm. And so I really related to your story and where things just went bloop, very quickly, like downhill. And also like, I had no idea how to behave. Um, because you know, I had this secret life at home, but I was supposed to go to school and act like everybody else. So I Mm. always looked around to see what other people were doing. And I saw these girls who are my age, who are my friends. And I saw them like hooking up or like, I didn't know what a hookup was. I always had like boyfriends. Um, and so I started hooking up with guys, but like, I didn't know how to do that right like (laughs) how much hooking up was happening and so all of a sudden I was hooking up way too much let's just say way too much and then I got (laughs) backlash from it immediately very quickly it was like the girls didn't want to be my friend and the guys all had really really awful things to say about me and so I didn't have any friends in high school really I had acquaintances that I would like use drugs with or whatever and drink with but girl, I would like pass out in a field. I had an eating disorder at that time. All sorts of things were happening in my adolescence. Also, I got involved with the legal system. Um, you know, I got arrested, put on probation. My mom for. I got uh I was drunk in school. I got drunk before school and I was talking to my friend about it. And um the teacher was like, This girl's drunk in school. <laughs> 
So I got pulled out. I got walked out of high school in handcuffs and put on probation. And, um, and, you know, my mom thought that would like scare me straight. And it was just like, all I want for you is to stop like trying to get me in trouble and just like, accept that, like, like love me and accept that you really hurt me and made some really poor decisions, even if you thought they were the best ones at the time, because that is the theme of my life. My mother has indoctrinated me with, I love you so much. You're the most important thing in the world. Um, I sacrificed my whole life for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would do anything for you. Those are the things that she would say to me daily. Also, family is the most important thing. Da, da, da. So knowing all those things I just told you, how could those other things be true? Right. But as a kid, you can't reconcile. You have to reconcile the two. And so I just chose to believe that she loved me and was doing the best. And she also created stories about the decisions that she made to make herself out to be the person who made the best decision. Um, so I didn't get any help in high school and I ended up going to juvie. Really? And uh, for how yeah. long? Like the summer. It was like four months, five Do months. Do tell. I want to hear. Um, Where so was it? They call it. Uh, they call it placement um, in Philly. So it was in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, and it's now shut down permanently. It was called Vision Quest. So they had a lot of lawsuits. Yeah. Yeah. Using kids. Yeah. Um, it didn't happen to me. And I think, I think because I saw this, there was a creepy guy. There was a creepy guy who would give girls candy bars, like full size, you know, stuff like that. And I think he could tell that I was, I had an eagle eye on him. And so he kind of avoided me. So yeah, um, you knew you'd punch him in the nose. He was short and oh, gross too. And um, yeah, so I would punch him in the nose. I wouldn't do that because they would slam me on the ground if I did that. Um, so it was what like, what was goofy. it like? Is it like? It was, you... I, I'm gonna yeah, I'm about to describe it. It's goofy. So it was Good like job. this this fake military barracks. So we okay. slept in a squad bay with which is like a huge tent with like a bunch of bunk beds that have like a it has a heating system and we had these you know army tubs at the I forget what they're called at the you know like your little box of belongings at the end of your bed and so it'd be like in the morning I'd be like wake up I'm gonna count down until you and you had to make your bed and like fold it and like you know, if somebody didn't do it right, everybody, you know, got in trouble and all that stuff. Um, so it was like this, like very fake kind of military thing going on. But then, cause it was called a boot camp, you know, but then there was also this vision quest part of it. So I actually did sweats, which were really, really, really cool. Like that was so cool. So I went into like this tent, they dug the, you know, they had the boiling hot water and they would spill it over the rocks and we would do the whole sweat Native American experience of doing that. And that was amazing. Um, so I got to do that as a teenager locked up in juvie. <laughs> That's cool. Sweat lodges. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, at what I realized there was that because I had a lot of anger and a lot of resentment and I was very reactive um, obviously to the point that my mom couldn't handle it. And my dad, he had gotten sober, but when I was 13 ish, I think, um, but he didn't change at all. Um, so I don't know what he was doing at the time. I don't know what's going on, but he didn't like step up and be dad. Um, so, uh, 
yeah, I was, um, wait, I lost my train of thought. What was I saying? Oh, so what happened was, okay, okay, I got you. Okay. So what happened was when I was there, in spite of like all the anger I had and stuff, like I had, I, I had to look around, like I was looking around at people next to me and every, everything. And what I saw was, was girls that had things way worse than I did mm-hmm. in reality. I had a house to go home to. I had a mom who was willing to take care of me. I had a, I went to a really good school. I had resources that I had to take advantage of. Um, and so when I left, I ended up, you know, asking, I had gotten kicked out of high school, went to alternative school. I had asked to get back into my high school and I went, um, and I graduated and, um, yeah, I tried to get out of my mom's house as quick as possible. So I graduated and I moved in with my dad. So it was cool. Um, it was cool because my dad is like the complete opposite of my mom, like very, uh, emotionally available or not. I don't want to say available emotionally intelligent a bit uh I I said very and then I said a bit and then you're like basically he just was not horrible (laughs) that's basically what you're getting to I could tell him what my feelings were yeah okay got it and he wouldn't be like yeah sometimes I have those feelings and then I just think about people that have it worse than me and I feel better because that's how my mom was (laughs) my dad would lament my dad would lavish the experience to talk about how awful his life was and how his third grade teacher did this to him and all sorts of stuff so he's stuck there so I don't want to say he's like intelligent in the fact that he can work through things and move on he's very stuck in that spot and he still is so um but it was nice to be with somebody I could just say hey I have like these really depressing feelings and like I you know and have somebody to relate to and somebody not judge me and understand and so um, it was really helpful for that year. And then I had, um, so I went to community college and then I moved down to Philly to finish out at Temple, uh, my undergrad. And then I went into grad school for, to be co- immediately, because I think I just didn't want to get a job. I went into child and adolescent therapy, a pro- master's degree program, because I was like, I made it out and I can help other people. Um but I dissociated through the entire degree program because obviously like this was way too much for me. Um, I had not processed anything and um, I got the degree program. I did my internship at a IOP um, intensive outpatient facility. And um, I found issues with like the way that the system was run and stuff. I found like all these reasons to not and my super and I was like, can I work here? And my supervisor was like, Jesse, no. <laughs> so he tried to make it like you don't want to work here, but really he was like, You ain't working here. <laughs> so funny. So I ended up going into research and doing like behavioral research, and that's kind of what I've been doing since. So what's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. I I was thinking about when you were talking about being in juvie, and I'm thinking about my experiences in boarding school and all the treatment centers that I went to, and like, think about what happened to all the, like, those people that you were in there with, and how many of them are probably dead. Yeah. There's like one or, there's like one or two that found me on Facebook, but yeah, 
not the outcomes aren't amazing no you know? they're no <laughs> the odds are not good <laughs> yeah and that's the other thing I really like can't stand when my mom talks about oh I can't believe everything you've accomplished after everything you've been through and it's like I'm it, it's like I've accomplished it in spite of everything I've been through. It has not, I don't want this resilience and grit or whatever. Um, I would trade, I would trade my experiences for maybe less success or something for sure. What was the deal with your brothers? It's hard for me to talk about um, at this point, you know, uh, my brothers are four and six years older than me. So by the time I was like a teenager, my oldest brother, I kind of left. Mm-hmm. And then my other brother, um, I kind of, it was tri- triangulated. So me and my oldest brother, our personalities were very similar. Um, and so my middle brother was kind of ousted and we would do pretty mean things to, to him. Um, and, you know, uh, I remember like I would get on the phone when he was talking to his girlfriend. My brother would tell me to like say stuff to his girlfriend and I would, you know, just like these kind of telling me he's adopted and all sorts of stuff so I think like the episode on the sibling stuff like resonated a lot um upon reflection you know and I think that they had really different experiences so my oldest brother lived with my dad for a long time um I only I have no memories of my dad in my house um and my middle brother experienced some stuff like experienced some of the same things with my stepdad not not what I went through, but, you know, sitting on the couch and things like that. Um, so my mom triangulated us very strongly. We only communicated through her at a certain point. I think after my abuse came out, our relationships changed forever. Um, it was very, I wasn't allowed to talk about it um, mm-hmm. because I had been molested prior to this and it was reported um and I guess the social worker had told my mom like if this happens again like your kids are gonna get taken and she took that very Mm. seriously and so this was a very hush hush and it's like I have all of this reflection as an adult and I have way different opinions right but I was a kid and I was like of course like this is the best thing so I didn't talk to my brothers about what I was going through I didn't tell them what happened to me we all knew what happened to me um so but my mom is very much like, let's move on. Let's move on. It's in the past. I did what I had to do. And I'm a good mom otherwise. And I didn't do it. Right. And that's the thing I see in our group where people get confused, where they're like, I'm more mad at the person who failed to protect me than I am at my abuser. Person that hurt me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it ta- it's a real mind fuck. Right. Because it's like, this person didn't abuse me you know, but it's a different type. It's a neglect and neglect is invisible. And so it's just takes a little bit longer to recognize and to see, especially like when you're being told, like, I love you so much. I would do anything for you. Such a mind fuck. Right. And, and then, and then you go through life with all this anger toward that person and you can't articulate it. There's no words for it. Like I'm mad. Like I had some things that I could say, object like I could say you failed to do this but there are so many other things that took me years to be able to put words to and when I went no contact with my mom I didn't know these things I didn't know anyone else that had done it um and so I started eventually seeking those things out that information out 
um, once I got sober, but for a while it was like, I need a reason. I need to be able to say, this is why, this is the list why. And I couldn't, it was just my gut. And like, I couldn't handle that because like, like I knew how manipulative and forceful she would be. And it's like, if I don't have a good rebuttal, like I'm going to lose and I'm going to get wrapped right back into this. Um, so learning all the terms learn is, was really helpful for me, um, to say, okay, actually like there, like, I don't know, it just, it just helped me feel more confident in my decision and my ability to put the boundary up and keep it. What do you know about her upbringing? Very little. Um, I do know that when I, you know, we had the whole conversation about my stepdad, she expressed similar experiences, um, growing up. And I, I don't know, but my, my family is very odd. They're all very odd. None of them drink maybe my one uncle. Um, so I have a feeling maybe my grandparents, I don't know, but they're all very shallow, um, not shallow. I mean, surface level, um, ability for intimacy. Um, so quantity is like really important in my family of so you need to spend a lot of time together because there is no ability to actually develop an intimate relationship with one another so the only way that we stay close is by seeing each other a lot so it's kind of like mm. what's going on with your life how's your job what happened last weekend da, da, da. so frequency is important to maintain those relationships and like as I got older I'm like I have no, I just can't stand doing this because mm -hmm. um, I know how to I at least know that some, that there is another type of relationship. I don't necessarily know how to do it, but like, that's what I want, mm -hmm. um, you know? And so I think it's important to talk about like the triangulation that my mom really did because it persists today. And I think a lot of people go through it and don't know necessarily like what's happening, but like what happens is that my mom has herself in the middle of every communication in my family. So she will say, oh, I was talking to your brother. Um, he wants to know if he should bring something to your event. Mm -hmm. So that means that my brother and I do not talk about the event. And that's simple. That's not a big deal. But then it becomes every single thing. And so therefore, mm -hmm. I no longer talk to my brother mm -hmm. until I'm seeing him at the event, right? And so... I've started to, once I recognized that pattern and then it became like serious things. Like she would complain about each sibling to each other. And then we were supposed to relay that to the sibling or whatever. Um, but it's all no, like if she had a problem with me, she would tell my brother, she wouldn't tell me. Um, and then my, once my brothers got married is when I started finding things out. Cause their wives would be like, Ooh, that's what I heard your mom say, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know? And so, um, yeah, it became a different dynamic as, as we grew up, but it still persists. It's still very strong to this day. And so I have to, when my mom tries to do something like that, and, um, usually we have very low contact now, but I'll be like, oh, well, I will talk to so-and-so about that or have them text me about that. Um, and so I just, that's like a minor intervention that I do to stop the triangulation of like getting herself to be, she doesn't want to be ir irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can't be irrelevant. If she's irrelevant, mm -hmm. she has nothing of substance to give. And so if she's not the part of what's going on, then she doesn't exist. 
So, because she had foregone her personality to be quote unquote a mom. And she told me that many times. I like, all I am is a mom. I'm trying to, you know, as we got older, I'm trying to date and I don't know how to, because all I know how to do is be a mom. It's like, well, you fucked that one up pretty good. (laughs) But like, so good luck. Um, But, you know, so she had really forgotten any other hobbies, activities, whatever. Yeah. Um, And so she has not much else but it's interesting now um that I have really created this strong boundary like she kept pushing me once I went no contact it was very difficult she kept pushing she kept thinking oh I'll give this a couple weeks let her cool off um and so finally she kind of kind of confronted me um and like while I was leaving a family event and um I just kind of like was like look this is the real deal if I, uh, my relationship with you makes me sick and uh, it makes me a bad mom and it makes me drink and it makes me take out. Cause what I was noticing is every time I interacted with my mom, I would go home, I'd be in a whole tizzy beforehand. And then afterward I'd be stressed out too. And I'd be, you know, acting out and taking it out. And once I had a, a family, I was like, this is, I'm not going to do this to them. And so I just told her, and I think in some weird way, she recognized that and identified with that and so she was like look I understand you have to do what you have to do for your kids which is so fucking weird she said that as though she meant it you know gotta do that for your kids okay but I also was like look I'm about to be an alcoholic (laughs) I was like definitely an alcoholic but I'm about to be I'm about to say I was like I'm fighting alcoholism (laughs) I'm about to become a pickle I'm a pickle that flip got switched. Yeah, for sure. And um, mm-hmm. and I was like, it makes me sick to be in this relationship. So like, you need to back off. And ever since then, she has. And um, and I also think she knows that I'm not afraid to tell her the truth and confront her. And she cannot handle that. And I understand why. And cut her off. Like, I think she knows that you mean business. Yeah. And so it's been really tricky because I had, um, I made this decision when my kid was like three, three or four. And so, you know, they had a relationship with my mom and they wanted to keep it. And so I kept it, you know, and they still keep it. So, you know, they're having a sleepover this weekend and, and um, whenever my child is done with that, then that's great. We'll be done. You know, it's not always fun to sleep at grandma's house forever. So. I just, I just keep it cool. And she keeps it cool. Like I just went through a whole serious, you know, cancer experience (laughs) diagnosis. And immediately it was like, when I got diagnosed, it was like very scary. I was more scared of the boundaries I had put up being Mm. broken than the actual illness. So that was like really fucked up. I was like, I can't even just go be sick. I have to worry about my family dysfunction. You know, I have my dad like, oh, I'll just move in. Yeah, for the rest of my fucking life, if I let you do that. And then I have my mom like, oh, what can I do? What can I help? Oh my God, like I can be your mom again. Let me do this. And it's like, wait a minute, I don't even talk to you. Um, and so it was hard, really hard at first, but then I, my brothers actually rallied for me and, um, helped, wow. helped me keep the boundaries. And I was pretty surprised. Cause like 
a lot of times they'll be like, yeah, I understand what you mean about mom, but like, I don't know, like whatever. And they have their relationship with her because, and it, and it keeps me very excluded. So like my, my, how I feel in my family is that I'm, I'm sad and I'm grieving because like, I, I feel like they chose my mom in a way, you know, but I know that it's way easier to choose the person that's abusive than the person who's gonna not freak the fuck out if you say hey Jesse like I don't want to get into a whole thing so like just don't come to my party or whatever it's way easier to do that than to deal with the person who's gonna you know um take revenge um which she will you have so much going on yeah your mom you've been sick you work how have you navigated this to have the time and the space to actually heal? Um, that you know, that's a good question. I have actually, you know, not drinking, um, <laughs> freed up a lot of space and time. Um, no need to nurse a hangover anymore. But I was still doing a lot while I was doing that. I, my, um, I, I'm, my defense was workaholism, I guess. Um, and so I can't sit still on the couch. I can't sit with myself. Um, and so I actually have less going on than I used to. Um, yeah, it's just very much like I always need to have something going on so that I don't have to like sit and be uncomfortable, uh, or deal with these things. So the healing, um, you know, COVID certainly helped being able to work remotely and, um, it's just a decision that I made because like, I, I am destined not to end up like that. And so I've shared on in our group, how I have this real core belief that I'm, you know, going to harm my children. Um, that is really deep within me. And I shared with my therapist, I said, you know, I, I had this realization. She's like, Oh, I totally see that. She's like, you do everything. You protect your kids from you all the time. And so it's, it's so sad. I put a lot of barriers in between me and my kids emotionally because I'm afraid I'm going to hurt them because I don't, I don't know how to behave and acknowledging being able to, I don't know, like the, the time and the space for this, it, it just seemed necessary to be a good parent. So I found the time and the space. Right. Um, but what I love about being in this group and being able to have these places to land when I say, I think I'm a dangerous person um, and be able to sit with it and get to decide whether that's true or not. And if it is true, get to do something about it is um, something that a lot of people don't have. And we have that in this group, I think, being able to say those things out loud and um, have the skills to kind of, even if I don't have the skills, I at least have someone to talk to if I needed to, or to reach out to. Um, but it's given me the ability to verbal, to say the quiet things out loud as, as someone said um, in one of my classes recently, it's like, it's, it's saying it um, all my life. And I drank over it because that's what happened when my, I got divorced was like, I'm going to become my mom. I'm going to become my mom. I'm going to become my mom. And I just drank over it. 
Um, and then I was <laughs> kind of becoming like her as a drunk. Um, so yeah, what I learned is that I'm, I know in my heart that I'm not a bad or dangerous person, but I do not necessarily know how to behave. And so that's something that I can work on. Um, that's something I can learn. Like I had an incident come up that I had to make a decision and like other people might have known how to make that decision way faster, way sooner. It took me a little bit of time. Um, and like, it was a decision about whether to put my child in the situation, like where they wanted to be, but I wasn't sure if it was the safest thing for them or not. And, you know, like I eventually made the right decision, but it took me a little while. It took some time. And, um, eventually maybe it will be sooner but like I'm at least I know deep down that I'm not a dangerous person anymore just saying it out loud maybe made me able to like dispel that myth I guess that I have really been holding on to you know Mm -hmm. Mm. the next one is the promiscuity uh that's my next one so (laughs) I've been listening to so much music from high school and just like really trying to put myself back in that place and understand that I was a child and then I had no skills and then I saw everyone hooking up. And so that's what I thought was normal. And I thought I was fitting in, uh, but really, you know, but that stuck with me and I've picked partners that have had very few um, intimate relationships. Uh, I picked safe partners who won't hurt me, who won't cheat on me and, you know, probably don't date very often. And so when I came at them, they were like, this girl likes me. I'm super into this. And so I've chosen my partners and um, I've never been able to handle the scariness of being pursued by a person Um, because I would probably act in a similar fashion to you, like in your relationship. So I just don't get in those, um, very often. And so, so yeah, that's, um, been a really hard thing for me to say, Hey, I have way more partners than you ever have. So that shame has Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. the shame's, the shame has persisted and, um, the shame has persisted because I don't feel safe to share it with my partner. And the subgroup in, you know, the shit show for the CSA survivors um, has been really integral in my healing because I've never been able to talk to another survivor in, um, in a way, like maybe I knew people that it happened to, but I've never been able to be in a, in a space. And so I asked, you know, do you guys, because once I get into a really serious relationship where I'm in love with someone, I don't want to have sex with them. Because to me, sex is dirty and gross. And like, oh. if you love me, why would you touch me there? Or why would you touch me like that? So that's one, that's that's what I really believe. But then I have my my cognitive brain that knows I'm a grown adult, that I'm a woman, that I'm in an intimate relationship. And that part of being an intimate relationship is having sex. And um, it's so it's like, I've had to just do it. Um, but deep down, I don't, I feel like they must, like, I just do it and I just, just compartmentalize it. Like, I don't get to enjoy, um, having sex with someone I'm in love with in a way that other people do, because I feel like 
someone who is someone who loves me is not going to touch me like that. So that's like my next try and work on fixing that um, so that I can have a healthy like sexual life. Um, but I wouldn't have been able to talk like when I talked about it with the group members, it was like, you know, I've been able to share with my partner everything that happened to me, including all the acting out I did afterward, which for me, I've never been able to share with my partners all the sexual acting out I did as a teenager where I exploited my own body and put myself in situations that um, I let people take advantage of me. Um, and and that's held me back. So maybe maybe I can fix that if I was able to share my whole self with somebody. So mm. that'll be my next shot. I'll try it. <laughs> See how it goes. You will. You'll get there. Yeah. Um, okay, three things that you like about yourself. Uh so I'm quick witted in my humor. I and um I am pretty I can be pretty goofy and silly you know having been like bullied and I've always said like I've already heard the literal worst things ever about me so nothing you say is gonna hurt me and so it's given me a sense of freedom to take risks and be silly and make art street art and all sorts of things and then the third thing um is that I I think I'm pretty scrappy like I uh not like I can fight, but like I'm a hustler. Like I get things done. Um, so I like that. Last question. Hope or dream? Hope or dream? I really hope I don't fuck up my kids. Mm. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> but here, okay. Well, Jesse, here's the thing. You're you probably are going to to an extent, but like what you're doing is huge. You were so like you're such an amazing woman, mom, human person. Your kids are so fucking lucky to have you as their mom. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm trying to believe that. So I'll keep telling you. If you're just be willing to believe that I believe that about you. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hero.co.